And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I want to speak around that passage because I believe that Isaiah there is speaking of spiritual burnout. He's echoing. You notice he's, he's putting words in the mouth of the people of Israel and then he's answering them. So he is echoing back to the people their own spiritual state. Did you hear what they said? Israel is saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. The justice you me escapes the notice of my God. That is, Israel was saying, God doesn't know where I am. My way is hidden from him. He is saying, God doesn't care about me. He says, the justice due me or the righteousness God is supposed to perform to me. He hasn't done it. That is, he hasn't kept his part of the bargain. Things haven't turned out like I thought they would. God doesn't know where I am. He doesn't care. And he's not come through on his promises. Now that sounds pretty bad. But let me pull that out a bit. I have listened in this last year to thousands of believers as we've talked after meetings. They have a sense of failure as living as a Christian. Now, I want you to be very honest tonight. I mean, this is not a Sunday go to church sort of thing. This is a confrontation between you, me, and God. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart. Let's be honest. I have heard it from individuals that I know would never share it with anybody else. I'm someone that passes in the night and so they tell me everything. They know I won't be back for a while. And they give me a false name. <laughs> and they tell me this sense of failure. They haven't made it as a Christian. And I've heard it again and again. They're saying things are not what they could be. And they're not what they should be. That is, things have not come up to what I thought it was going to be like. One person said to me, if this is living in covenant with God, I don't think much of it. Honesty. Others say, prayer is not answered as I thought it would be answered. Others say how they're defeated before the powers of darkness. Others look around the church and they say, no one cares, no one understands, and that includes God. It describes a person who is spiritually exhausted. I can almost hear them saying, I've had it. I just tried and I tried and I failed and I've tried again and I failed and no one cares and no one understands and no one can tell me what to do. I've had it. Spiritually exhausted. Isaiah said it well here. He said, the youth grow weary and tired and the vigorous young men stumble badly. The word youth there in the Hebrew language meant an athlete trained for the Olympic Games. I mean, he was not just any old youth. He was a selected one. He was one who knew how to endure. But it says, the youths grow weary and tired. And the vigorous young men stumble. And they say, I've had it. In verse 29, did you remember? He says, the weary and those who are lacking might. Now, the term for that kind of thing that we use today is burnout. And I think it's a pretty good term. Believers feel like they're just a heap of ashes burned out. They feel like every dream and every hope they had of what the Christian life would be like 
ends up like the logs in the fireplace after last night's fire. They're still kind of warm, but they're just the gray ashes of a memory of what was there once. That's how believers feel, a lot of them. Life didn't turn out as they thought it was going to. Now, why is it that the distresses of life, I mean, we all have distresses, we all have pressures, what is it that for some people turns those distresses into this burned out, spiritual exhaustion, this sense of failure? Well, number one, the reason it happens, we run out of strength. And we run out of strength because we were drawing from our own personal resources. I'll get to that in a minute, but understand, burnout, begin. If you're burned out, if what I've just said really fits you, then it's because somewhere back there, you were drawing on your own personal resources and inevitably you ran out and you fainted spiritually. But then what are you going to do? Remember I said people come to me because I'm a ship that passes in the night. Sometimes they come and tell me about their second cousin, third, third removed. And I know they're talking about themselves. What are we doing? We are denying. That is when burnout really begins. I am afraid to tell anyone how I really feel. And so I learn to wear a mask. The mask I put on with my Sunday clothes. Part of the religious game of let's pretend everything's okay. So that when I walk in and the deacon says, praise God, good morning, how are you? You say, praise God, victory in Jesus. Because you dare tell him how you really feel. And that leaves you desperately alone on the inside. Desperately, frighteningly, horrifyingly alone. Because you dare tell anybody else in the church how you feel. Because you believe they would reject you if they really knew what it was like. And so the third step of burnout is you pull away from others. They wouldn't understand. And that only fuels the fire of this feeling of being forsaken by everybody. My way is hidden from God, you understand. Even God doesn't understand. I mean, the preacher's got to be right and he always says it's victory, victory, victory. I don't have it. I didn't tell anybody I don't. And he's the spokesman for God, so even God doesn't understand. I don't tell anybody. And then begins anger. Anger at God. Anger at the church. Anger at other people who get in the way. And that turns to bitterness. And that turns to being cynical and sarcastic. And just dismissing everybody as a hypocrite. How does it turn around? Burnout turns around when I'll own up. To myself and to God. And sooner or later to somebody else that I need help. Quickly, desperately, I need help. Jesus said the beginning of experiencing the kingdom of God, blessed or supremely joyous, are the poor in spirit. Those who will admit spiritual bankruptcy, burnout, all happy, happy are those people. And at that point, right there, burnout becomes a doorway <clears throat> to an experience of God grander and greater than you've ever known or thought could be. Paul says in all these things we are more than a conqueror. What is more than a conqueror? 
More than a conqueror is one who doesn't only conquer, he comes out of the battle with more than he went in with. Right? More than a conqueror. Not only a conqueror, he comes out with more than he went in. If you feel crushed, disillusioned, in despair, open up to God. Let God minister to you and you will find you'll come out of it more than a conqueror. But before you get there, we have to understand how we got ourselves into this situation. I mean, let's face it, people. God's promises are true. No discussion. He does stand over his word to perform it. It is his covenant word. No discussion. He has said he will never leave us or forsake us. No discussion. Then what did we do wrong? I mean, if God has given himself, his word, his person in the blood of covenant, what isn't working? Got to be on our side. Now, listen carefully. Even if you are a million miles from burnout, listen carefully. Because this will, A, save you forever from burnout, and maybe more importantly, B, it will tell you how to help others. What went wrong? Burnout begins with a misconception of the gospel. We define the gospel as a formula instead of a relationship. And as soon as you do that, it's all over. You're on the skid. The good news is centered in a person. The person of God. The Father loved us and sent his Son. And he loved us freely. Grace. The Son came because he loved us. And he died for us. And he rose again. And the Holy Spirit came because he loves us. And he pursued us. And he becomes the source of new life within. The person. Wherever I turn. Person. A person loves me. Every other religion has a philosophy, a concept, principle. We're unique. We have person. He loved me, and he gave himself for me. Said John, this is eternal life. This is it. That they might know thee, the only true God. Eternal life isn't just feeling good. Eternal life is knowing the person of God. When I take that relationship and turn it into a formula, it becomes a matter of rules, of do's, don'ts. A description of how I've got to live. Burnout begins. Did you know <clears throat> the meaning of the word religion? Frightening. You don't have to be a scholar, just own a Webster's Dictionary. The word religion, defined in Webster's Dictionary as a return to bondage. Do you know that? I mean, if you say you're religious, you're in trouble. Religion means our return to bondage, with a secondary definition as seeking to please deity. That is, I bind myself to certain rules, to certain disciplines, in order that I might try to please deity. Slavery, bondage. Isn't it crazy? We turn to the person for salvation. And then enslave ourselves with rules and disciplines in a bondage that is far worse than the world. Hey, come on. You might have been in bondage in the world, but at least you enjoyed it sometimes. Right? 
And I'm quoting Bible there. Paul said in Galatians 4.9, he said, Now that you have come to know God, how is it that you have turned back to the weak and worthless rules and discipline, things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Paul said religion that you've got yourself into is far worse than what you came from. Rules, formulas, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. Then God's accepting you. It's so natural to do that. So natural. I mean, everything else in life is run by rules. You've got to get up in the morning, you've got to go to work, and if you go to work, and if you work so many hours a week, you'll get paid at the end. It's the way life is. Everything runs by rules. Right down, you walk in the park, and it says, don't walk on the grass. Get on the highway, you can only drive so many miles an hour. We're run by rules. And at the end of the rules, there's always dessert. You always get paid, or you don't get paid. There's something positive or negative at the end of keeping or not keeping the rules. And so religion, wherever you turn, whether I'm in the Buddhist or the Shinto or with witch doctors in Africa, it doesn't make any difference. Every religion in the world has rules. I mean, that's the way the world operates. And if you find a religion in the world, it always operates by rules. As I said a moment ago, they all have a book. The book's full of rules. That's the name of the game in religion. Know the rules, keep the rules, and you're okay. And Christians want to be the same. They don't like being the odd man out. They're just like Israel in the Old Testament. Israel was the odd nation out. When the neighboring nations came and said, where is your king? They said, he's God. Well, where's his palace? Well, kind of up there. God was their king. And God ruled them through people. But God was their king. And the Israelites came to Samuel and said, we're embarrassed. We feel so awkward. Every nation has a king. Give us a king. So we can be like the other nations. And they got their king. And they burned out when they got their king. Do you understand what I mean? You realize Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is totally other. Everything else in this world that supposes to worship deity is a religion. Christianity is not a religion. But believers say we feel awkward. It's so different. Let's be like the others. And so you come into the kingdom of God with life, relationship to person. And five minutes in, you're given the book of rules, and that's the end of that. We've got ourselves a king now. Now we're like all the others. Now witnessing and sharing becomes simply saying, we've got the best religion in town. And that is, we're more disciplined than the one down the street come to our church. We go to church more than anybody else. We've got meetings every night in our church. See, we've got more rules than you do, so we must be better than you. Our rules cover every area of life. We're not like the liberals. <laughs> our rules say we can't eat that and we mustn't drink that. We can't go here and mustn't go there. You can't watch that, you can't wear that. We must be holy. We've got more rules than anybody else. Some of you are looking at me very seriously. Please don't leave, it gets better. <laughs> the fact is, you see, and I weigh my word very carefully, all religions are the same. If all we have is a book of do's and don'ts, 
that describe the alleged behavior of Christians were no different to the Buddhists, the Shintos, the Mormons, or anybody else. All religions are the same. They just had different rules. And that backfires. We feel very far from God suddenly. We feel exhausted trying to keep the rules. Also, there's a desire inside of us we never dreamt would occur. We want to break all the rules. You notice that? There are things you want to do you never thought of doing until the church says you couldn't do them. I become disgusted at my own hypocrisy. And then come the doubts and the confusions. I'm joyless and I'm soured. I'm on my way to burnout. Good news has become a dead formula. Jesus did not come with a new book of rules. Jesus didn't come with another formula. Can I... Please follow me carefully. Jesus did not come to modify our behavior. Hey, that's what I would understand by listening to a lot of people. That Jesus came to modify my behavior. That I once did that, now I do this. And that's supposed to be Christianity. He came with the announcement of a new kind of life that was bursting into the world. You know the word life, as many other words that we use in the English language, it's, um, it's a non-word, it means what you want it to mean. The Greek people had at least two words for life. There were others, but two basic words, which might explain this. Both of those words in our Bible are translated as life, so it gets confusing. Let me give you the Greek. The first word was bios, bios. Now, bios meant the manner in which I live life. The manner in which I live it. That is, my existence. As I define it as I do this and I don't do that. It means what I do, everything from I go to school on Monday morning and I come home at four o'clock. I go to work and I work there and I work so many hours there and on Friday my work week is over and on Saturday I go to the lake and on Sunday I go to church and sometimes we go and see it's my life that's my life I do this I do this I don't do that I don't do that I do this I believe this this is my political position this is the country I live in this is my life it means that today I go to the store and I buy this because my family likes this this is what we eat I, today I sit down and I pay bills and I have to pay bills because we bought this and I bought this and I bought the other. And I've laid aside this money because we want to do this and we want to go there and we're going on a vacation there. You see what bios is? My manner of life in terms of I do and I don't do. Uh, in fact, one time when Jesus used the word, it was, do you remember in the parable of the sower, he spoke of the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life. Bios. The worries the riches, the pleasures of this bios. The way we live. Religion, wherever you find it, religion picked up on bios. And religion will only add to your bios or subtract from it. So now religion says, well now, well now you've got to go to church a lot more often, not just on Sunday. You've got to go to church a lot more often. So you add that. Now you said you got up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, now you've got to get up at 7 and read your Bible and pray. Before you went to cocktail parties and got drunk, now you go to prayer meetings and get fat. 
Now you go and knock on all the doors in the neighborhood and invite them to church. See, all this is by us. Do you understand? Now you join the choir. Now you become a Sunday school teacher. We've added to the bias. Now there's a lot of other things we do. Now I subtract from the bias. Because now you're a Christian, you don't go there. You can't do that, you mustn't do that. Do you get what I'm saying? There's about four people nodding here. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, the bias, the bias. The manner of life. Jesus did not come to give us a new bias. He did not come to give us a new behavior pattern. He didn't come to do that. That's religion. He came to give a new kind of life which would spontaneously produce a behavior that he defined in one word, love. He came and introduced a new word to the world. I say that it was, it was there before, but he gave it a new definition. He gave it content. The new word that he used was zoe. Z-O-E. So natural man talks about bios. He came and started talking about zoe. And any Greek dictionary will tell you what zoe is. And I quote straight from the dictionary. It is life as God has it. God's kind of life. That is the life out of which creation sprang. The unbeginning life which is the foundation of all life. Zoe. God. His kind of life. Isaiah speaks about it here in the passage we read. He says, don't you know? Don't you know he, the everlasting God, he doesn't become weary or tired or exhausted. Zoe cannot get tired. Zoe never faints. Zoe never gets wiped out. Zoe is. Zoe's never was. Zoe's never will be. See, I am. I say, boy, I felt good this morning. I'm tired now, but tomorrow morning I'll be fine. Was, will be. Now, not Zoe. Zoe just is. Not an extension of days. That's not Zoe. Not activity. Zoe is a quality of life. Zoe is an intensity of life. It's other than anything on this planet, got nothing to do with humans, it's God's life. It's his nature. He is Zoe. Therefore, when I say Zoe, life, I'm also saying love. For God is love. He is life. He is therefore love. He is righteousness. He is holy. He is joy. He is peace. He is power. That's all Zoe. We call them all by different names, but really they're all expressions of Zoe. That's what God is. When man fell into sin, he was cut off from Zoe. Before that, he knew Zoe. He lived by Zoe. But it says in Ephesians 4.18 that now because of sin, man is excluded from the life of God or the Zoe of God. What's man left with? Oh, I get up in the morning and go to work to earn the money to buy the bread, to pay the bills and feed the kids and put a roof over my head so I can come home and go to bed and get up in the morning and go to work to earn the money to buy off. Bios. That's all natural man's left with. And as long as he can earn more money than anyone else and have a bigger roof over his head than anyone else, he succeeded because that's bio. God's Zoe is another quality of life. Jesus is Zoe in the flesh. 
He comes among us. He is Zoe. And he did something greater than creation. Have you ever thought about this? When Zoe created the universe, that was creation out of the womb of God. Out of Zoe, creation came. Life expressed. When Jesus came, he did something bigger than that. Jesus went into unlife, death. Creation came forth from life. Jesus rose out of death. Do you understand what I mean? It's one thing to create out of unending life. It's quite another to have life that's bigger than non-life. Unlife. Jesus followed up death and showed to us the limit, the limitlessness of the limits of Zoe. That he not only can create, he follows up death. That's the Zoe I'm talking about. No death can stand in its presence. Creation and that which rises out of death. Now get a few verses from the New Testament. You know all of them, but get them now in a new light. In him, Jesus was Zoe. And the Zoe was the light of men. Do you remember that? In him was life. The word is Zoe. In Acts chapter 3, it says, He is the prince of Zoe. Prince of life. For well, the Amplified Bible says he is the very source. He is the author of Zoe. Springs forth out of him like a spring out of the mountain. Zoe, he is its author, its source. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the Zoe. I am the way, the truth and the Zoe. I am the bread of Zoe. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. I am come, he said, that you might have Zoe. And that you might have it more abundantly. The Greek there says that you might enjoy Zoe and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. Whoever believes in him has eternal Zoe. Says Colossians 3, Christ who is our Zoe? You believed upon Jesus, it says you have passed from death into Zoe. And we know that we've passed from death into Zoe because we love the brethren. Does that do to you what it does to me? I didn't join a behavior modification class. I received a life that is life as God lives it. I received God's own life. Something I never had before. Something that could never be had came to me in Jesus. We received God's life. Inside of you, inside of me, is a life that has already conquered death and risen again. Right? Inside of you and I is a life, Zoe, that has already conquered Satan and put him underfoot. Zoe. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Zoe is in you. That's the he. For Christ is our Zoe. He's conquered Satan. Please stop your machine at this point. Do not forward it to the end. Turn the cassette over now as Malcolm continues this message. Now, if you've said that or believed it, please hang on my words. Religion says, using bios understanding, you change your behavior to be like Jesus. You must come and dedicate yourself 
to be like Jesus. You must work at having faith. You must try to have peace. You must try to love like Jesus. You should be happy and joyful. Religion, bios, behavior modification. The good news, gospel, is speaking of a relationship. Relationship. And again, Webster's Dictionary defines relationship as the connection of persons. Connections of persons by birth or by covenant. Isn't that neat? Relationship can be a, a connecting of persons by covenant. We are connected to a person by the covenant made in blood. And that person is Zoe. I am connected. What's Isaiah saying in these passages? He says, Israel, you're taken up with your failure. You're sitting in the corner bemoaning as you, you tried in your bias. You wanted to be so good and you got weary in it. Of course, of course you can't change your behavior. If you don't believe me, keep trying. Come back next year, you believe me then. You get weary. You collapse. All your attempts to produce a holy bias. You collapse. Burn out. He says, haven't you heard, Israel? Haven't you heard? Don't you know? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't become weary or tired. And what else does he do? He gives strength to the weary and tired and to him who lacks might, he increases power. So the one who cannot get weary, who is life, Zoe, he gives his zoe to the weary and the tired. You've been looking in the wrong direction. That's why you burned out, he said. You've been looking that I'll try harder next time. God, I promise you I won't do that again. I promise you, God, I'll go to church more often. I promise you I'll read my Bible more. I promise you I'll pray more often. And you burned out. And every time you said, I'll try again, you burned out a little bit more. Until you became so disgusted, you said, I quit. Says Isaiah, hey, don't you know you've been looking in the wrong direction? You've been looking at yourself, your own natural strength. Haven't you heard of him? He gives. Don't have to try, don't have to struggle, don't have to pay for it. He gives. Strength to the weary. See, we cannot... Have you ever thought of this? There's not one virtue in the Christian life that you can produce. Have you ever thought of that? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness. You can't produce any of that. Or you can bring up a shabby counterfeit. But you can't produce what the Bible's talking about. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the love of Jesus. Let's not settle for this phony, shabby imitation. You can't do it. That's why it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Not the fruit of your struggle, but the fruit of the Spirit. I can't produce it. It's life from outside. Zoe. If he doesn't give it, I'll burn out trying. The Christian life is not me trying to change me to be like Jesus. It is Zoe himself coming to be himself in and through me. Let me put it this way. 
I always feel the negative pull of the world. I feel the temptation pull of the devil. And I'm very aware of my human weakness that would be drawn toward that. You see, I don't change. Please, let's settle for this. You're not going to change. You're going to feel that temptation. There's something inside of you going to be drawn toward it. You're not going to change. And every time you try and change, you get closer to doing it. You should have noticed that by now. The Christian gospel is not the message of you change. It is exchange. Exchange your human weakness for him who never falls or fails. Well, put it this way. Scripture says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, listen to that carefully. There's a treasure. What's the treasure? Christ. In an earthen vessel. Who's the old pot? You are. You're the vessel. Old earthen vessel. And in the vessel there's a treasure, Christ. Now hear me very carefully. What's the pot for? To contain the treasure. It isn't that, it, see, it isn't that the treasure stays in the pot and after a few years the pot turns into treasure. Uh-uh. The treasure's the treasure, the pot's the pot. Hey, get this. This has changed more people's lives than you can ever imagine. You are a pot and you'll stay a pot. You contain Christ. That means I will always feel the fact I have a weak human flesh. Christ in me. It isn't that I'm trying desperately to change that flesh into Jesus. I recognize the flesh is the flesh. I just don't bother with the flesh. Once, I re- once I've accepted the fact it's there, now I don't try and change it. That's behavior modification. I simply exchange. When the negative pull comes, I say, Lord Jesus, take over. Pots can't handle this. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I am the vine, you are the branches. Vine wood is the most useless wood in the world. If it isn't bearing grapes, it's firewood. You'll never see a dining room set made out of vine wood. It is the most useless wood, except to bear fruit. And it cannot bear fruit of itself. If you dealt that, take a branch off the vine, lay it on your dining room table for a year and see if it can produce grapes. It can't. All a branch does is be locked into the main stem of the vine and produce the fruit of the vine. Can't do it by itself. There's vine life flowing through it that does that. Nor does the branch ever turn into a grape. It doesn't matter how many years that vine life flows through it. The branch is the branch, the life is the life, it produces grapes. You, my friend, are a branch. Within you is Zoe, the life which is God's love, righteousness, peace, and joy. You will never turn into Jesus. You are only a branch. What an only. For of all creation, we're the only ones he has chosen to manifest his Zoe through. But if you keep getting upset with the fact you're a branch, and not a grape. 
you're going to burn out. You are looking at a branch who feels daily the pull of this world. But it's okay. That's the way God made me. Someone's got to be the branch. And he chose that we would be the branch. And his life would flow through us and produce his kind of fruit. But once the branch is united to vine life, the sap, vine life flows through it and produces leaves and buds and flowers and grapes. Something happens to that branch that the branch can never do by itself. Never. It expresses vine life. Produces fruit by vine power. I can't produce love. Gave up trying years ago. I can't please God. I just lay on the dining room table, a branch dead. But united to the life of Christ, Zoe, I can do all things through Christ who fuses his strength with mine. For me, for me to live is Christ, the Paul said. Because those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. I wish I had another hour just on those two lines. Those who wait. Do you know what the meaning of the word wait is in Hebrew? It means to plait, to braid. You know, you get three strands of hair, three strands of rope, and you braid them together. And if it's rope, you now have a rope that cannot be broken. Three have become one. To wait means they're twining together so that at least two, maybe three, have become one. He says, those who wait for the Lord, those who as they wait upon God are braided together with Him, so that my life is lost inside of His life. Or as the scripture says, for you are hid with Christ in God. Braided. You with Christ in God. Wait on the Lord and realize that. And he says, then you will gain new strength. In the margin of a good Bible, it will tell you the Hebrew word there means will exchange their strengths. Not gain new strength so much as give him yours and get his. Exchange their strength. And then what happens? You mount up with wings as eagles. You run and you don't get tired. Your walk and never become weary. You have a source of power and strength and ability that is beyond yourself and outside of this planet. And someone says, and how do I get him inside of me? Good question. What does Jesus mean if you abide in me? How does this relationship function? Can you get something straight? The day you accepted Christ, whatever you understood or did not understand, doesn't matter. The day in your bumbling innocence or ignorance, or just sheer crying out for help. The day that you called on the name of the Lord, Christ came to live inside of you by His Spirit. You don't have to do anything to get Him in. He's in. Religion, they always have a God over there. That's why they build buildings and call them the house of the Lord. Uh, how Old Testament can you get? Someone should introduce such people to Matthew's Gospel because that comes after Malachi. In the Old Testament, they built buildings. They had sacred places. And he called it the house of the Lord. God doesn't live in bricks and stones anymore. That quit when Jesus came. 
In fact, he said, destroy this temple, get rid of it. He said, I'm going to build a new one. He did that when he rose again from the dead, but it wasn't made with bricks and mortar. No, religion always has a God over there who lives in a house. No, go down Main Street, turn right, first on the left. That's where God lives. That's the house of the Lord. No, that's not biblical, that's religion. God doesn't live in a place. God's always over there, so you have to call upon him as if he's deaf. They worship the sky God. He's up there somewhere. That's religion. The gospel, he says that, remember Ephesians chapter 3 says that you should be filled with the fullness of God. Your very body and us together becomes his temple. He lives in us. That's new covenant. That's gospel. He lives in us. And when temptation comes, the temptation that gives strength to all temptation is the temptation to believe I'm separate from him. Do you understand what I mean? Here's a temptation. It doesn't matter what it is. But the strength that gives strength to that temptation is when you believe you're separated from him. In the sense that he's over there somewhere. Up there somewhere. And as soon as I think in separate terms, I'm finished. Do you understand what I'm talking about? If you believe he's over there, up there, you don't stand a chance. Because what are you going to do in temptation? You're going to try to please him up there or over there. And you're going to struggle and try in your own natural strength to modify your behavior at this point of temptation. So that he up there or over there will see how strong you are. You settle it once and for all, never to be returned to. Settle it. He is one with your spirit. Whatever your feelings are, whatever your trials are, whatever the pressures are, doesn't make any difference. He is one with you. In the epistles it speaks of he the head and we the body. My head is never separated from my body. Could it be said that my head is a millionaire? My body lives in Harlem. No, no. My head is English and my body is French. My head's in Australia, but my body's in the U.S. Ridiculous. Of course it's ridiculous. When I say my head, I mean my body. When I say my body, I mean my head. And the Bible says that's the way it is with you and Jesus. Where he is, you are. What he has, you have. Who he is, he is in you. Hey, you go into a bank and you write a check. And the teller looks at you and says, I'm very sorry. But for me to cash that check, you have to write it. And I say, but I, I just wrote it. You saw me write it. And the teller says, I'm sorry, sir. I distinctly saw it was your hand that wrote it. <laughs> Crazy? Mm-hmm. My hand is me. He is the head, you are the body. For me to live is Christ. Do you get it? How does it work out in practice? That negative call... The negative pressure comes. And with it comes the little feeling inside, huh, this is who you are. You know what I mean? When, when you get a temptation, a feeling to do this and that, you know you, you don't want to do that. But with it comes this little voice, idea, fleeting thought. Huh, that's who you are. That's it. That's who you are. See, if you were a good Christian, you wouldn't even feel a temptation like that. I mean, you've got to be the lowest of the low to even think of that. 
But that's who you are. Then immediately, if we believe that, comes the call to act in the flesh, my own natural weakness, to change my natural self to a different behavior pattern. And it usually comes out, now Malcolm, do your best not to do that. You ought to do that. You ought not to do that. You should do that. You must do that. I keep telling myself that, you know. Get with it, man. That's flesh. Go through the epistles when you read of the flesh. That's what it is. That I, in my natural strength, I am going to change my behavior to please God. That's the flesh. What do I do? Instead, I wait on the Lord. That is, I am conscious of my oneness with Him. Conscious, I'm twined together. See, that's a lie. When I get called to do that, that's not me. I'm being tempted. That's not me. Jesus was tempted too, wasn't him? And so when the little voice says, see, that's the way you are, that's a lie. That's not the way I am. Who am I? I am Christ in me. That's who I am. That's who you are. But you're being tempted to this awful thing. Sure I am. That's no condemnation. I haven't sinned. I've just been tempted. I am a child of his love. He loves me. And I'm being tempted. Yeah, but you have all these feelings. Yes. Would you understand me if I said it's God's will that you have those feelings? That's the negative. It's against that negative that the positive is expressed. Unless you felt the nags and the drawers of anxiety and fear... How could you ever be more than a conqueror by having the peace of God that passes all human understanding? It was necessary to feel the pressures of anxiety so you could let the positive, the zoe of the peace of God come forth. How would you ever know the agape, the love of God coming forth unless you met somebody that's totally unlovable and unforgivable? And then you forgive them and you love them with a love beyond yourself. You had to have the negative feelings. You had to be tempted to say, I could never love that person. And then to realize I exchanged that for his love. Are you with me? Do you know what I mean? You see, sadly, you're never going to change in your flesh. Never. And it's God's will you don't change. Not a hideous mistake. God's will. Maturity is not gradually changing my behavior to be like him until one day I'm so like him I don't need him anymore. I've made it. Well, you understand that listening to some people. Maturity is a relationship, a connecting with him, which means I recognize I can never in myself produce his kind of life. So daily I become more and more dependent, recognizing I am weak. But when I am weak, I am strong because I exchange my weakness for strength. So when it comes, I say, I can't handle this. I don't apologize. God wants me to say that. I can't handle this. Take over. And he does. He does. I'm talking about life, you see, not trying to keep principles and rules and discipline. Take over. In this situation, I don't know what to do. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. This person's unlovable. Thank you, Lord, for your love. I really don't care what happens to that person. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion. Do you see what I mean? 
I live. I live, yet not I, it's Christ who lives in me. Exchange. Those who wait, those who become conscious that they are braided together with God, that Christ is in them, their life. <clears throat> those who wait upon the Lord exchange their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Have you ever seen an eagle mount up to the heavens? You notice he doesn't do anything. You know that? Eagle's never sweating by the time he gets thousands of feet up. Doesn't do anything. Watch it. Come on, you've got them in Pennsylvania. They spread their wings and launch onto an air current. And the air current bears them up. And when that air current has gone as high as it can, they just move over to another air current. All they do is hold their wings out. And they become one with the air current. And they're taken higher and higher and higher. Wait on the Lord. That is, realize, I can't, I'm not even trying. Christ is my life. Overcome through me, live through me, be yourself through me. And what happens? I become one with the eternal wind of God. I am born into the heavens. Remember the burning bush? You ever thought about it? Boy, we need another hour for that one. Look, what happens when bushes burn? The gases inside the wood is what ignites. And when the gas is spent, the thing collapses, it's all over. Burned out. That is, the natural bush burned itself up. Drawing on its own natural resources. It's all over. Moses saw a bush and he said, it's burning but it's not consumed. Aha. Then there's something burning in that bush that is not using the natural strength of the bush. Right? God's glory was in the bush. The bush burned, but it wasn't burned. Because it wasn't using its own natural strength, else it would have been burned up before Moses got there. You got it? You're just an old bush. You struggle to shine like Jesus and you're a heap of ashes within a week. But if you realize bushes can't do this, then the glory of God comes within the bush. And I burn, but I don't burn. I radiate, but it's not I. Christ is my life. Mind you, when all was said and done, the bush was the bush. The bush didn't suddenly turn into heavenly indestructible wood. Just bush. And you don't turn into Jesus. And Jesus doesn't turn into you. He is not me. And I am not he. I am we. You follow me? Who am I? I'm a we. Christ lives in me. And Christ lives in me to such a degree that for me to live is Christ. Once you've seen this, relax. Don't struggle. Don't turn this liberty into another religion. Relax. Have you seen what I mean? You've seen what I mean? No, no, it's Christ. And relax. Relax. You say, but sometimes I'm not thinking about Christ in me. Well, bless your heart, that's okay. Live in natural. Look, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. And when I go to sleep tonight, I will not be conscious of the hotel I'm staying in. That doesn't mean to say because I've suddenly forgotten where I'm staying that they put me on the street. <laughs> Even though I don't know where I am. I'm still there. And just because you're not conscious of Christ in you doesn't make any difference. He's there. 
And just because you're not conscious of it, he's still living himself. And sometimes when you are as unconscious as you could be of him living in you, he's doing his best work because you're not in the way thinking about it. Right? Christ is in you. No struggle, no sweat. Jesus said, become as little children. And what's a little child? He accepts what is without understanding how it works. And walk out into your world accepting the fact that you as a believer, Christ lives in you, even though you don't understand how it works. Simple as that. What do you have to do? Tear off the mask. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is, of course, if you've been struggling and trying. If you've been in that position where you've been saying, one more dedication, one more struggle, one more try, I'm going to be better, I promise, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to church more. I won't do that again, I will do that. I promise God, I promise you, I don't know what came over me last week, I promise you, I'll never do that again. You've just been trying in your own strength to modify your behavior to allegedly please God. And God has let you burn out because he loves you so much. He's let you come to despair so that he can introduce you to the life, the zoe, not this other bios stuff, but give you his own life. But you couldn't take his own life until you were convinced the bios didn't work. So if you're burned out, congratulations. That's exactly what Jesus meant. Blessed, an old English word that means congratulations. I mean, you're, you're so... You're such a privileged person. You're so full of joy. Congratulations. That's what blessed means. Blessed. Congratulations. You finally made it. You know you can't do it. Poor in spirit. Broken. If that's the case, then you're ready to receive the gift. He gives strength. You came into the kingdom with a gift. And as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The gift, the gift, the gift, the gift. Every circumstance, every person, every challenge, every opportunity, thank you, thank you, thank you. As you receive, so walk. The gift. You don't drift into that. You re- the Hebrew says you repent of dead works. You turn away from all your struggles and cries and say, here I am. I abandon myself to the gift. To the gift. And I let him become my zoe day after day after day. And I want you to do that. I really do. It's such an awful waste of time for you to hear a lecture. I want you to experience the zoe. Feel what I'm talking about. Feel it. I am talking about the life that created the universe. This has been one of the many teaching cassettes by Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith's ministry is dedicated to guiding believers into the reality of experiencing daily fellowship with the Father. For a free catalog of all audio and video teaching cassettes, write Malcolm Smith Ministries, Box 29747, San Antonio, Texas, 78229.